0: Welcome. My name is Paul Tizard. I've been a fear of flying coach for over 25 years. And today's topic is fear of flying and hypnosis. The reason I picked this topic, in fact, there's several courses of therapy and help that people often take part in when they're trying to get over their fear of flying and hypnosis is one which I get asked about a lot a lot a lot and people will say to me does it work and uh, you know etc etc so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through three main areas so the first bit I'd look at the history of it what's it all about Uh, my personal history as well secondly I'm going to answer some sort of typical questions that come up I had a couple that came through which is great so thanks for those I'm going to answer those, but also uh, the third part, I'm going to kind of round up and give my opinion on it as as somebody who has, say, used it a lot. I've used it a bit, not with fear of flying, but I've used it uh, in the past. So part one, so what a lot of people don't realise is that hypnosis, as we're going to call it, has been around for a long, long time. So if if you take it, rewind quite a bit and think, what is hypnosis, which we'll get to shortly, But if except for now that it's a basic sort of trance-like state, then trances have been used by humans for thousands of years. Yeah? So it's not something which is completely new. But when I was doing my research for today's, and I was reminded of my own journey with hypnosis and particularly hypnotherapy. And one of the things that I found and I was reminded of was that The first person that was accredited with saying, right, you're using some form of induced trance-like state was a guy called Franz Mesmer. And this was back in the 18th century. So you think about that word, when you ever say somebody says, I was mesmerized by him, that has come from him because he used to use it to help people with pain relief and a few other things. That word has stuck around in our vocabulary, mesmer mesmerise, and he used to use some of the techniques that we still use to help people to get out of their own way and to embrace the idea of changing some of their potential habits which are not not working for them. So the next person that I would like to link in with would be a Scottish surgeon by the name of James Braid. and This is credited roughly around the 1840s now, obviously it gets a bit sketchy because we don't have the records like we do now. But around about the 1840s, he is attributed with coming up with the word hypnosis, hypnosis. So that's kind of like more recent history. But like I said, it's like a trance like state. So I'll give you a very simple example of it. Have you, you know, when you wake up in the morning, I assume you wake up in the morning and you have that moment where you can kind of awake, but you're sort of half asleep, you know, and you could get up. You can't be bothered. You're in control but you're just lying in bed, and perhaps you can you can hear some distant noises, like some traffic, or perhaps you can heard the birds tweeting, and you things that you're not normally aware of, you can suddenly hear them. And it's quite a pleasant woozy feeling. And you could get up, but you can't be bothered. That's exactly what hypnosis is like. It's that kind of, you're in control, you've got slight sort of focused attention in a certain area, but, and you feel quite relaxed and it feels nice you are in control but you just can't be bothered to get up and that is hypnosis so thanks ever so much no so I'll go into a bit more about that so my personal history with it I did some training in it probably I worked out it was 32 years ago so when I first came out of the military I did some training uh, with uh, Neil French who was amazing down in Bournemouth in the UK and I went through my course and as part of that, you had to go through your own sort of therapy as well. So I had a, probably around 12 to 15 sessions of hypnotherapy. So I've been the recipient and the deliverer of it. And I found it phenomenal. I found it very easy to relax and let go. And I was found that was highly suggestible because that is one of the resistance. We'll get onto to that in a minute uh, that people often had about hypnosis, which is like, you know, I, I don't want them to make me barking at the postman or something. No, no, because we have this illusion that, uh, that's, that's what will happen. But there's a very different, the very strong difference between hypnotism and hypnotherapy. I was trained in hypnotherapy, not hypnotism, although some of the techniques are very similar. So I'll give you an example. When I went through my course with Neil French, Uh, We were taught how to help somebody to get out of their own way. So we learned certain techniques and these techniques helped you to relax somebody. Now, once that person's relaxed, then you can make some suggestions that are positively worded that go straight into what we'd call the subconscious part of the brain, which I'll get to shortly. Now, if that person doesn't, isn't ready to take that on board, doesn't want to do it, they'll resist it. They'll just say, oh, no, you know, they'll kind of smile and go, yes, yes. But you know that they're resisting and they're not actually ready to let go of whatever it is or to do the new thing that you're suggesting. So when we're going through this type of training, I was it was very clear to me that actually you could if you're really, really good as a hypnotist. You've got fantastic at these techniques and you're very good at selecting the right people, you could actually not get someone to do something they don't want to do but you could probably suggest to somebody who's highly suggestible to do something they wouldn't want to do but would they do it normally there's a debate around that and somebody uh, and I won't get into the I won't bore you with the details of it but i believe that you are in control that nobody who gets up on stage if you like with a hypnotist would do anything which is completely out of their uh, their normal so normal range it wouldn't be out of their range of behavior. So they may not have thought about it, but it can help them to lose inhibitions, much like alcohol does. And so when people lose inhibitions, they do weird stuff on stage. And I've sat and watched the Paul McKennas before he did all the neuro-linguistic programming and all that other sort of great ethical stuff. But he used to be a hypnotist going around the country, hypnotizing people, getting them to do stuff. And it was hilarious, you know, watching people do some obscene acts on the stage for the delight of the paying audience. And it made me very suspicious of it. And I've I've come across people who use it that way. I'm in the school, well, I was, of hypnotherapy, which is using it ethically. And that was how I met David Lando. For those who know my history, when I set up the Virgin Flying Without Fear programme back in 1996, I'd known David for several years before that. And David was a hypnotherapist and of some repute, they used to call him the voice of chocolate. He was an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, relaxation merchant, I can't think of a better word. So when we started together, I knew that hypnosis could help with confidence building, with phobias, uh, fear of spiders, stopping smoking, all this sort of stuff. And I was curious, could it be used to help fear of flying? And that was a discussion that we had back in the early days but my reservation was, and I said this to David at the time, but when we start, you cannot call it hypnosis. And I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but it wasn't, I was ashamed of it. But I was worried that I might get more resistance, and some people might be drawn to it that perhaps are just drawn in by the word hypnosis rather than the fact that these are, you know, fear applying programs designed to help you. And we're going to use a range of techniques. So we never, ever said the word hypnosis, and that was deliberate on my part because I was worried that it would have the wrong perception. And A lot of people, when they think about hypnosis, they they either go towards it or they very much go away from it. And hypnosis, unfortunately, has got a bad reputation uh, or has a reputation uh, that people think they know what it is. And it's a bit like I suppose you might compare it to turbulence. Turbulence is a word which is not helpful because people have connotations in their head. Turbulence. So rather than thinking, great, turbulence, bring it on, which is what I think. Most people think turbulence near death and hypnosis has that kind of. Link to it, not near death, but they think certain things about it. So I said to him, look, as far as I'm concerned, hypnosis is just a form of relaxation. So we're going to call you a relaxation therapist. And whilst people are relaxed, you're going to make positive suggestions to help them. Now, of course, that's another way of talking about hypnosis, and I wasn't deliberately deluding people, but I didn't want him to use the full-on hypnotic state stuff uh, because you would get more problems with that than than it being helpful, because people might just resist because of the word hypnosis. So that's why we chose not to ever you mention it. But David's background was hypnosis, you know but but he, could do lots of relaxation stuff and he had lots of cds out and stuff like that so he just a really really relaxing voice that in itself when we just when you break it down i used to say to him just do some three deep breaths and get people to relax and then maybe you could talk them through an induction to get them even more relaxed and then whilst they're feeling relaxed and they're breathing better and more deeply then you can reinforce some of the messages from the course and I didn't feel that that was being dishonest that was being quite upfront that's what we were doing we didn't call it hypnosis because I wasn't technically sure if it was or not so we just sort of veered on the side of well it is meditation it's very similar to meditation but you add in some positive suggestions as you go along what's wrong with that if you've got good intention you want to help people and clearly it did help a lot of people now Let me move to part two. So the resistance that I've often had around hypnosis, and the question is, does it work? People say, does it work? Or they might say, I went for some hypnotic sessions and it didn't work for me. I couldn't go under. I, um, you know, I just, too strong-minded. I just, and I think this is an interesting idea. So I've been looking around. There's lots of research around this, of course. I'm just going to quote one from a guy called Professor David Spiegel. I hope that's pronounced right. And he did some research, or his team did some research, around why is it that some people can go under, whatever that means, and why some can't? And he found that there were neural differences. Some people were just, they found it really, really difficult to do it. And it was about these certain connections in their brain it only accounted for about 20% of the population though or 20% of the research group now the other thing i'd add into that it's not that we so if you go along and you think oh I, I know i'm i'm not gen- genetically programmed to be hypnotized but remember what is hypnosis it's just that kind of you know uh, pleasant sort of woozy state when you wake up in the morning so can we all access that no, of course we can unless you are sort of one of these people that like a gazelle banks us out of bed first thing in the morning ready to hit action and goals you know most of us kind of get up in a kind of floppy sort of way and in that woozy state and that is what hypnosis is like it's just a mild trance state so the word unfortunately has got bad press so he found that some people just couldn't be hypnotized but I have a slight challenge with this. And one of the things I found when you 30 odd years ago when I used to use hypotherapy, I don't now, like I said, but we get taught that there's different levels that people can go to. So a light state, you see certain things happen like flushing and the breathing starts to change slightly. But as somebody goes deeper into more relaxation and you know, very similar to meditation or maybe even the end of a yoga session, you might have done something similar. But when someone goes into that state, their breathing changes They get calmer and sometimes their brain starts going or some people's brains just quite still depends how much they practice this type of thing generally. Whenever I've looked at that type of idea, I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't someone be able to go over? And so I would say that there's some really strong reasons aside from the neural difference. So the first one is, do you trust the person that's doing the relaxation for you? Yeah, you because know, if somebody says to you, right, you know, sit on the sofa there or lie down, close your eyes while I talk to you, <laughs> do you trust them? Do you feel safe to do that? Because if if you don't, you're not going to relax, you'll be like closing your eyes, but putting your teeth, going, yes, yes, I'm counting down, but you wouldn't you wouldn't be relaxed at all. Okay. Another thing is, is that people sometimes actively fight hip therapists. You know, so I said therapists, not hypnotist, they'll actively fight, you know to prove you wrong I won't go under I refuse to relax you know and that's fundamentally about letting go because that's the actual thing so if you actively because the other this is the third thing if you actively I'm going to I'm going to actively embrace this it's not an active thing it's actually the opposite of that it's letting go so the trick is if you can get people to feel safe to say just let go, you don't have to do anything, just listen to your breathing, I'm going to talk some stuff, you can listen to me, not listen to me, it's up to you, Just, I'm just going to help you to relax and if somebody feels like they can trust you, they'll start to relax, some people go into deep relaxation, some people just it's quite light, it doesn't matter, it's, you know, it's different things for different people, so that is the, the, the trick to it, so I think actually potentially, I don't see why somebody couldn't relax but unless you're sort of quite wound up all the time you might have to work quite hard to just let go and just let somebody talk to you in a way which is quite calm and relaxing and you've got to trust them and you've got to let go so i think those are the reasons why people will say it didn't work for me i i just you know i couldn't relax it's just because it's a practice thing you know but you're fundamentally You've got to let go and let that other person help you to relax even more. And that's a tough thing for a lot of people. Now, the idea behind this is once someone is relaxed. So David Lando taught me this. You you distract their conscious mind by getting them to count from 100 down to 1 or to imagine a staircase and we're walking down it, blah, blah, blah. And they're just distracted by that. But what you're trying to do is get the conscious mind out of the way so you can get to the subconscious, which is where the programming sits. Okay. So the subconscious part of the brain is the bit which is linked to keeping you alive. It does all that automatic stuff, but it also keeps all of your buried things buried. So sometimes if there's something that's kind of troubling you, this is the idea behind the hypnotherapy, Uh, it's there, it's kind of repressed. It might even be out of your conscious awareness. And so by relaxing you, what can happen is sometimes people will just burst into tears or they'll, they'll feel quite uncomfortable because the bit that's been kept down, kept down, kept down in the subconscious is now being allowed to sort of filter up into the conscious brain. And the reason why hypnotherapy worked, well, for me when I went through it, it makes the unconscious stuff things you don't know about you've forgotten that are buried in the subconscious come to your conscious brain and once you can consciously accept it happen and revisit it in a helpful way you can learn to let go of it so that's the idea of how like a repressed trauma or some reason a cause for an anxiety or fear now, I've done it a massive disjust, injustice there because there's a lot, a lot more complicated ways you could describe this. But I like to keep things fairly simple. But that is essentially what you're trying to do. Get the conscious brain out of the way. Then you have access to the subconscious. And then you can give that person positive suggestions. So if it's like a six-session thing, if it's full-on hypnotherapy, you might use a free association. Now, for those who are Freudian amongst you, you will notice that phrase has come from Freud because Freud started using hypnosis. He found that it was helpful to get people to free associate more quickly, but then he stopped using it after a while because he found that actually just by getting people to say what's in your mind and tell me the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and don't worry about vetting it, controlling it, judging it, just let it out. He found that was just as effective. But hypnotherapy still uses a mixture of the relaxation and that free association. They say, just tell us what's, what's occurring to you. It Could be a feeling, could be a thought, could be an impression could be anything just say it and what that does is allow that person to wriggle out the subconscious stuff now remember the subconscious is doing its job and it doesn't want you to feel unpleasant so if you have got some sort of unhelpful memory and there's lots of memories in our we're growing up we don't probably probably need to know them but if it's troubling you so it's causing some sort of anxiety or embarrassment or you know you feel lots of these things which are unhelpful feelings or emotions or thoughts and sometimes it could be that the root the cause for it is buried in the subconscious and so that's how a hypnotherapist might work so how does this link with fear of flying what I've seen happen for people is that if somebody goes to a hypnotherapist and they pay a lot of money because they're not cheap a good one's not cheap and you trust them that you probably will have, say, three to six sessions with that person, maybe more, and they will help you to relax. And then you might do some guided visualisation. So you might notice that there's some links here to NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, because NLP was also based on Milton Erickson, who was a well-known hypnotherapist. So there you go. So the roots are... So if you can get someone to relax and to visualise what's going on for them and to a future pace... So in other words, to think about the scenario and then give instill in that person positive suggestions. Look how calm you are. Look how relaxed you are. Look, you're smiling. Just notice around you, you're looking at other people in the room and they're all smiling as well. And what you're doing is helping that person to rehearse and you're trying to reprogram their brain, if you like, but they're doing it with you. So they're doing the work. All you're doing is making suggestions. And if those positive suggestions are not acceptable to them, they won't do it. So it does rely on somebody being motivated and really willing to trust you and let go a bit to allow you to help them to help themselves. So there's some of the questions that I've often had is how does it link to, say, meditation? So just to be really clear, we, uh, hypnosis and meditation can seem very, very similar. The only difference is, hypnosis, you'd also then add in some positively worded suggestions whilst that person is relaxed. Meditation is the end in itself. That's a very crude way to describe, but they have, it could seem very similar. I've had some meditation and I've been to, I've done yoga classes and stuff like that. And it seemed, I think, am I being hypnotized? Uh, Because they're all just different ways of paying attention to things. So that's meditation and hypnosis. The other thing which is very popular at the moment, it's not it's been around for a while, is mindfulness. So is that like hypnosis? Straight answer, no. Now you might help somebody to relax and to clear their mind and you might do an induction, which is exactly the same hypnosis, but it's a different type of attention. So with mindfulness, we're trying to pay very close attention, active attention to the present moment. Whereas with hypnosis, we could do that, but we could also be whizzing around, around your timeline in your brain to sort of examine different things and think what was going on there. So, I see them as as fundamentally different, although the routine might be very similar. So you might go to yoga, you might go to meditation, you might go to mindfulness, you might go to see a hypnotherapist, you might even go see an NLP person, and they might say, right, let's take some three deep breaths and just focus on your breath and just allow everything to drift away. So that's the sort of thing that you might get anywhere, but it's what happens next, which I think defines the difference. So just to be really clear, can you be made to do something you don't want to do? So this is the third part. This is my opinion. I don't think you can. I know that there are some amazing hypnotists out there that just seem to be able to get somebody you know to do something crazy, and you think, "Wow, he said he'd never do that," and there there he is running around the stage. Well. One of the things that I saw when I was watching this when I saw Paul McKenna do it, they do this suggestibility test. So they do this thing where they say, right, imagine your hands locked together now. They're they like glue. They're like glue. And it's, no matter how hard you try, well, just try now. See if you can start to pull your hands apart. Go on. But you, no matter how much you try, they just seem to be stuck together. So the person that's not particularly suggestible will go, uh, no. And someone else will go, going, and so there's lots of little tests that you can do like that. So somebody who's very suggestible, in other words, is you know they're quite trusting that 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 this person will be able to do what they do. They've got high trust in you, your credibility, etc. They may well find that they go, oh, "Well, I've got the sticky finger thing. I've got, I just can't pull my hands apart." But there's lots of others, more sophisticated ways of doing it. But that's what they do. So the people that kind of pass that test, they come up. The ones that go nothing happened did not mean that they couldn't be hypnotized but that hypnotist is going to have to work really hard and be particularly particularly confident with their ability to do that type of stuff i never had that never wanted that so when i did hypnotherapy training over 30 odd years ago like i said i was just curious about it because i'd been through it myself and found it massively helping helpful for dealing with some things that had, you know from leaving the army and stuff and just other stuff going on in my life So I found it massively useful. So I'm pretty open to this idea because I think that there's so many things we don't know about and hypnotherapy, I would hate that to be ruled out because people don't really know that much about it. So my goal for this session has been to say, look, you are always in control. It's just a very light, relaxed state. It's like waking up in the morning and you're in control. You could always get up if you wanted to. But if you trust the therapist the person that's helping you with this process then and you're lying on their couch or whatever you do and you're just relaxing, all they're going to do is give you positively positively worded suggestions that are in line with what you came to see them for in the first place So I would say if you haven't investigated it, if you're curious, why not check it out? There are official clinical hypnotherapists that are registered all around whatever country you're watching this in, because there are many associations out there. You know? So you can Google this stuff and find somebody that would help you. And the test is that if you speak to them and you get a kind of a funny feeling, I don't trust this person, don't go and see them. It doesn't matter if 57 people have recommended them, and said they're amazing, they're not amazing for you, because you've got to trust them fairly quickly But remember, you're always in control, and all they're going to do is relax you and then give you some positively worded suggestions. I hope you found that really useful. So if you do have any other questions or thoughts uh, about this topic, or anything else to do with fear of flying, because obviously we've been doing it a long time now, but if you want to drop me an email, it's paul at lovefly.co.uk. That's paul at lovefly.co.uk. I'll happily answer your questions, And I hope for now that's been useful. Take care.